You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. For Panther fans who want to keep pounding. For the ones who want an inside look at the vault. This, 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 this is views is from Midstream. Now. Here's your host, Lonzo Wrightsell and Rob Brown. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a much more fun edition of the Views from Midstream podcast. Yes, indeed, it turns out, and we have now done the scientific analysis that we have more fun doing this when we're coming off of a W and the folks are praising the Panthers all around the Carolinas because a final score of 22-14, who dat, we dat, as the Panthers knock off the NFC South rival Division Saints, uh, excuse me, NFC Southern Division. I'm so excited I can't talk. 22-14, your final score in week three. The nine-game losing streak is over. The we haven't won a home game in a calendar year is over, and we're now undefeated in divisional play, ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to the Views from Mint Street podcast, available where major podcasts are found. My name is Rob Brown, the host of the Rob Brown Show here in Greenville, South Carolina. And joining me, of course, as he does for every single episode, on vacation and shows up to work anyway, ladies and gentlemen, the great one, Lonzo Reitzel here as well. What's up, big fella? You know, you got to show up after a win, a victory. You say everyone's excited. Yes, we're excited to win. The streak's over. Matt Rule is probably more excited than anybody that the streak is over. Uh, Got some questions about Baker Mayfield, though. I'm sure we're going to address those during the podcast. We sure are. But I wanted to to start with this question. Uh, I was at the game on Sunday. And I was talking to a couple of buddies of mine about the game on Sunday at halftime. And and obviously, the future of Matt Rule has been and remains the big conversation. About an hour and a half before kickoff on Sunday, Ian Rappaport dropped a story where sources inside of the organization told Rappaport and sources he trusts enough to run with that David Tepper was planning on taking a very cautious, very methodical, very slow pace of action with Matt Rule, that he effectively trusts the process, so to speak. And I was talking to some Panthers fans, and I asked them, if I told you that the Panthers were going to go 0-5 down the next stretch, but Matt Rule would be fired after that 0-5, would you be good with that? And... A surprising percentage of the Panther fans that I talked to at the game on Sunday said, yes, I would trade an 0-7 or 0-8 start to get Matt Rule gone. Now, juxtaposition. When that game was over on Sunday, 
Robbie Anderson and a handful of offensive players for the Panthers took a game ball, ran it immediately over, and delivered it to Matt Rule. The players wanted Matt Rule to get the game ball. So my question here for you, Zoe, and those of you out there listening to our podcast, question is, while the fans for a year and a half been, have been chanting fire Matt Rule, this is a, at least to me, pretty obvious sign that the Panthers fans are still bought in. The Panthers fan are still very much on board with Matt Rule. Uh, Panther player, pardon me. Still very much on board with Matt Rule. There's no other reason you sprint a game ball over to the guy after his first W in 10 attempts knowing what we know. And again, there's there's no quotes that went along with this. There's no speaking out from players that went along with this. But that's pretty much the only conclusion that I could come up with, though, knowing that the players immediately went to celebrate with Matt Rule and bestow upon him the greatest honor that can be bestowed upon a player or coach after a game, the presentation of the game ball, knowing that it certainly looks like the players are still very much on team Matt Rule. Zoe, does that change your stance on Matt Rule and his tenure with the program? All right. So from the beginning on, on our show, on the Fan Upstate, I've been saying that I thought Tepper had some patience. I know in our last podcast, I thought he would be gone if he lost this game. I still think that was the case because of possible fan outcry. But it's a big deal that they took that game ball over to him because – what it's saying is we don't want this guy gone. So if you're upset with losing to the point that you believe that it's the coach's fault that you're losing, you don't take the game ball over there. You don't. You just you just take the W and you walk on uh, to the locker room. But but the fact that they took the game ball over, that is a very big deal. I got to say, I'm a little bit surprised by that. Um, that just means that it would seem that Matt Rule has the players. And – as I think about it, you know, usually on a, a losing streak like this from a team, you start hearing some, you know, static, some sources from inside the team. Players are saying this. Players are saying that. Do you recall hearing that? Not particularly, to be honest. I, I don't think we've really heard much from the players about Matt Rule uh, at all, to be honest with you. And 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 I ha- I kind of had the same reaction when that report started dropping that they they that Robbie Anderson specifically one of the leaders of the team accompanied with some other players gave the game ball to Matt Rule I was kind of taken aback by that not in like a negative way but 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 in a way that I was a little shocked a little surprised right because despite the fact that and that's an excellent point despite the fact that we really have not heard a lot of players speaking out pro or against Matt Rule that is that's like the old ultimate symbolism, right? Like that's the ultimate sign of respect is to give a cat a game ball. It means what you did today uh, was special. What you did today is worth remembering. And that's what that game ball is for. I was a little surprised, not disappointed, but surprised that the offensive leaders immediately were like, yo, coach needs this one, right? Like coach needs this because if nothing else, though, 
it kind of feels like a pump the ego back up moment, right? Like it kind of feels like they're going to coach and going, coach, we know it's been, we know it's been a struggle, but we want you to remember this win. So here's that memento. It just kind of took me back a little bit. All right. So I, I picture him placing this on the pedestal next to all his bowling trophies. Cause we know, we know, we know Matt rule has got a bunch of bowling trophies. We could tell he wears a bowling shirt on the weekends does some bowling or during the week because he's busy on the weekends. So he's got that on the mantle. No, it's got, it's got to make him feel good. It absolutely does. But in the end, you get back on the uh, to the drawing board and look to next week because that's just one. You lose the next one and all that uh, stuff that you've gained this week saying we're this close, we're this close. And they were that close. I mean, they lost by a couple of field goals. And now you've got a victory and it's a conference victory. That That has to be sweet. Not just have a victory, right? You're two and one. You lost one game by two. You lost the other game by one. Both of them 50-plus yard field goals. Again, we've talked about the the philosophy behind that of, to me, uh, by going, oh, we only lost by a field goal, kind of ignores all the things that could have gone right to where it wouldn't have come down to a field goal. That's the, that's That's in the past for right now. We're celebrating the win. But I do think it is important to acknowledge that this team specifically defensively, and we'll get into that here in a minute, specifically defensively from where I was sitting, this team had fight, this team had heart, this team had juice, this team was 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 hitting on all cylinders, and a team that is given up on a head coach does not do that, right? They go through the motions, they run their routes, if something good happens, great, and if something bad happens, whatever, this team, especially on the defensive side of the football, Lonzo, looked absolutely juiced. There was energy. There was excitement. There was a fighting spirit about this team. Even when the offense wasn't running well, right? Because you, you, you go back and you look at the fact that through the first quarter, you had the uh, fumble return of Alvin Kamara for a touchdown. Outside of the the offense didn't really do a heck of a lot, but... They were fighting. They were pushing. They were blocking. They kept the New, or- uh, New Orleans Saints defensive line almost completely at bay. Uh, they opened up the field for the run game and McCaffrey to go get his 25 carries for 108 yards. This team looked like they were, pardon the elementary level of verbiage here, trying. And a team that has given up on their head coach does not do that, Zoe. I'll just, I'll just, hey, look, they're trying. You know, that's something that you should never have to say about a professional football team. Hey, look, they're trying, but you're right. But I, they were trying the first couple games, and they finally – I think New Orleans was was the the fix for what ailed them. I, I mean, coming in, the fact that, you know, uh, Jameis Winston was inept because of injury and other things, but more so because the defense was – getting pressure on him. They didn't have anywhere to go or anywhere to throw. Uh, this defense was good last year. It's starting to look like it might be better this year. Well, and, and that's interesting because last year, last year the defense looked good and then they'd have games they did not, right? Like they'd, ha- they'd have a game where they looked exceptional and then they'd have a game where they yeah, were. And, and now it's just, it's just a couple series. Now the couple series yep. cost them the first couple games. They could find a way to to buckle down and not have those series because they had that in this game too. If they can find a way to get past those series and be consistent for four quarters, look out. 
I think you're spot on, but I think the other aspect, I mean, obviously the Saints had that one touchdown drive that ended with the Mark Ingram touchdown run, and that one kind of tightened it up a little more than we'd like. But I, I think the the flip side of that argument's got to be it's the National Football League. The worst offenses in the league are going to have some touchdown drives where they look like they know what they're doing. The defense has got to, and I assume that they were in the locker room today, looking at the offense and going, you guys got to uphold your end of the bargain, right? Like you guys have got to pitch in on this. The defense put up the first seven after that fumble return for a touchdown in the stadium. It never really felt like the saints were, you know, in in most NFL games, it always feels like one team is one snap away, just one big play. And it goes back to the game being in flux. It didn't feel that way in this one. In this one, it, it, it genuinely felt like Carolina was well in control of this football game. And that was because of the defense. But I've got to imagine the defense has got to be looking at the offense and going, look, one more good drive against Cleveland. We get a win. One more good drive against New York. We get just one. One more good drive. We get a win. Uh, You know, obviously it, it would have taken a lot more for New Orleans to get back. But I also know in the fourth quarter, Carolina could have, should have, would have been up another score or two over New Orleans. I got to imagine the defense is looking at the offense right now and going, if you guys can pull it together, we're a good football team at this point. I think more so they're saying, if you guys can get it in the end zone, because you can get it down to the red zone. And then once you get it down there, you stall out. And I think as a question for that is, why are they stalling out? Is it the quarterback or is it the play calling or is it a combination of the two? Uh, and I think it's a fair question. And I think it's absolutely, we are we we are absolutely going to address that question coming up here in a little while from now. But before we get into the X's and O's, uh, I, and I know we've kind of already done it, but I wanted to hit on this real quick. Panthers fans, if you see a member of that defense rolling around Charlotte, give them the high five, give them the fist bump, because that defense was something else, man. They were something else this weekend. Flying around, you know, you know blowing up the Saints' offensive line, especially Frankie Louvu. That dude is that dude is coming on, and you can watch that Haynes return over and over again. That dude was flying for 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 a big dude picking up that fumble and and running that end. That was that was beautiful. I would say it bring a tear to someone's eyes, but not maybe <laughs> not maybe not. But but it was beautiful. It was the, 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 the front seven specifically of Carolina. I'm going to tell you this, like the saints offensive line is not as good as they were a few years back, but they're still a top half of the league offensive line, statistically speaking. And they got owned by the Carolina front seven. I mean, owned by the front seven. And I will tell you, you know, we talked about play calling. I think that despite all the criticism he has taken, and I think some of it warranted, Phil Snow and co called a fantastic game defensively. There were blitzes. There was pressure. It was creative. It was inventive. And at the end of the day, so very early in that game, injuries regardless, the Saints went with Jameis Winston. Jameis was getting knocked on the rear end multiple times in that game. And once he started to get a little trigger shy, once he started to know that those hits were coming and more importantly, that they were coming from every different gap and spot around the offensive line. Jameis Winston never got comfortable in that offense. And while they did have a big day out of Chris Olave, 
there wasn't really anybody else that was able to bail him out in situations. Carolina brought out the ineptitude in the Saints offense that we saw on Sunday because they dominated the line of scrimmage. The blitzes were from all over the field and creative, and Jameis Winston was unable to find any rhythm at all at any point of the football game. It also shows a lot about uh, the Saints' confidence in Andy Dalton because if you have the confidence in Andy Dalton, you got to bring him in when your starting quarterback, the future of your franchise, more than likely is out there playing hurt like that and taking a beating, but they never brought him in. And I was really shocked about that. I, uh, I was sitting in 255 and it was hilarious listening to all the Panthers fans in that section. Like, why aren't they going with Andy Dalton? Here's the reason. I don't know how much it would have mattered, right? Like for, I don't understand Jameis was getting hurt. I don't know what Andy Dalton was going to be able to do against that pass rush that Jameis Winston wasn't already doing. All right, let's flip it around. Let's talk about the offensive side of the football. And obviously, as we have every pod and probably will the rest of the year, we begin with Baker Mayfield. Baker, 12 of 25, 170, one touchdowns. No interceptions, a rating of 83.8 if you follow that statistic. He was also sacked one time for a loss of one yard. Uh, Lonzo, I- I'll say this, man. I was I was very optimistic about Baker. I remain optimistic that the quarterback that took over a 1-15 Browns team and then led them to the playoffs in a couple of years is going to show back up. But the next time he shows up in Carolina will be the first time he shows up in Carolina. Uh, the seat I was sitting in was in, in 255 was at the end of the field. So I got a very Madden camera-esque. And me and the folks that were were sitting around me were calling out the receivers that Baker missed. And maybe more importantly, were groaning at the wide open receivers that Baker was missing. I don't know what the deal is because now it's been three weeks of the regular season, plus training camp, plus the preseason, you're kind of past the point where you can blame a lack of familiarity with the offense, a lack of chemistry and timing with the team on Baker Mayfield. I don't know what is going on right now, but Baker is just missing throws at this point. Do you have any theory on why that might be? All right, so the first couple games, uh, a lot of the blame could have been placed on the receivers. This game, you couldn't say that. As you said, there were wide-open guys, and he was not even close to where his – you know, your first thought is, is he hurt? No, he's not hurt. If you look, look at the look on his face, you and I have worked together for a little bit. I know the look on your face. You know the look on my face. When I'm just having a bad day and nothing works, no matter how hard I try, I'm trying to fight through it, nothing is working – it seemed like Baker was having that kind of day. The first couple of games, he had some of that look on his face, but he managed to fight through it and start to connect and and uh, find his receivers and started to look a little comfortable. He just looked like he was not there. I mean, mentally or physically, he just didn't seem like he was there at all. It almost makes you think like there's something going on outside of football maybe that was a distraction because he wasn't there despite all that. His teammates picked him up, and he hit just enough. And he wasn't out there throwing picks. So at least you could say that. There were a couple of times he threw the ball that if he tried to force it to the guy that he was throwing to, 
Uh, maybe some of those throws were bad on purpose because there were defenders around them. The secondary had the guys covered, and they just threw it in the ground. I don't know. I think he was having a bad day. I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's just having a bad day. You know, it's uh, it's interesting because one of the conversations we had was that Baker has been known over the years as a guy who tries to force a play, right? Like tries to force a play, puts a ball into coverage, is trying to throw guys open down the seam into triple and, and, and single high safety coverage where the back defensive back has a line on the ball, et cetera. And he, you're right, he did not do any of that. Did not do any of that. Wasn't forcing anything. And you got to wonder if perhaps there's a little hesitancy there, right? Like if, if in being the new guy, and in taking the criticism so far and in recognizing the struggle of where Carolina has been in the last nine regular season weeks to get to where we are now, if if maybe there is an element of don't try to do too much, right? Like you, you, you've all heard, we've all heard coaches in the past who have said, don't try to do too much. Do what you can do, do what the defense gives you, and then let your playmakers around you make plays. Well, I almost kind of wonder if Baker in Cleveland pre the Jarvis Landry days, when there was a lot going on, his forcing plays, his making something happen is what made Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. And now that he's in a new team and he's taken over and, and he knows that, you know, Sam Darnold's coming off the IR in four weeks or whatever it is. And, and he's going to make his case to take his job back and all that. I almost wonder if if you're not wrong, so if there's a little bit of hesitancy, right? Like if there's a little bit of hesitancy out of Baker Mayfield to not make mistakes that has kind of prevented him from being the guy, or have we just seen the best that Baker Mayfield is capable of doing, which I I, I really hope not because I've seen him play better than this. And again, I don't want to put all the offensive woes just on Baker Mayfield but it starts with him every single play. And there were a lot of opportunities where we left points on the field yesterday. Well, I, I, again, if we went back to game one and two and we didn't see some of the old Baker, because we did, there were drives where he was precise. He was hitting everybody. Everything was clicking in the first two games. This game, it seemed like nothing was clicking. And they still won, you know? and. Like you said, if you look in the past, man, he would force things and cause interceptions. And maybe he thought, I don't have it today, but I'm not going to make the mistakes that I've made in the past, and I'm not going to cost us this game. It means too much. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, like I said, I, I, I even in week one, if you go back and listen to our week one pod, I was even willing to blame it on the offensive line to some degree, right? Like, okay, he's not getting a lot of time to throw. He's getting a second and a half to two seconds tops to establish his footing and get rid of the football. His offensive line has been good the last two weeks. Not, not perfect, not excellent, not pro bowl worthy, but they've been dramatically better. I, I saw earlier uh, one of my other Panther podcaster friends pointed out that as the pro football focus grades go, this was like the lowest graded week uh, of, of the Panther season since last year. I'm going to tell you, Again, from watching both sides of that offensive line, the offensive line was fine. I mean, it was fine. They ended up giving what? I, I believe they ended up giving up 
uh, one sack on, or sorry, three sacks on the day. And a couple of them came late in. Uh, frankly, the offensive line was more than good enough in this game. And you can look at the 108 from McCaffrey to know that that is the case. I cannot blame it on the offensive line for Baker this time around. And as you pointed out, you can't blame it on a major cause of the dropsies like we had in the first couple of weeks. Everybody else was 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 more than doing their job. And it's like Baker just didn't have the confidence or maybe worse, the ability. But as you pointed out, we've seen him do it. So we know the abilities in there. What do we need to do to bring it out of him? All right, the TV broadcasters mentioned something that they may may be right about. They were saying that they thought his hesitancy came from how many batted balls he's had, that he's had so many batted balls that it's causing him to hesitate and overthink because he's he's looking for that lane where his balls won't get batted down. And I think to a degree, that might be some of it. I could see it being a, a, a part of it, right? I mean, how many years did we watch? five foot nine drew Brees in the same situation, a very similar situation of seeing a lot of his passes get knocked down at the line of scrimmage. And I, I, I understand that. And I don't even disagree that it would be a part of the reason, but you got to move past that, man. You just got to play your game, right? Like, because if you're going to, if you're getting balls knocked down and you want to change something to stop that, you change your mechanics, right? You get a you get a higher release point. You do like Drew Brees did, and you play up on your tiptoes so that when you drive, you add that extra inch or two on your height by getting up on your toe when you drive through the leg. It's a mechanics thing. Baker cannot allow that to get to the point where it changes the way that he attacks the play, changes the way that he reads a route. It changes the way that he throws the ball into certain windows and positions. Uh, because while changing your mechanics can very frequently end up in you having some major problems, we've seen that in the NFL over the years, changing the way that you act on a play, changing the way that you play a play, that will wreak havoc on you. And like I said, it's a good 22-14 win, but it was much closer than we would have liked because the offense just could not stick it in the end zone uh, until until that fourth quarter. And we'll talk about that coming up in a little while uh, in the next segment. But look, it, it really does come down to, for Baker, you're kind of getting to the point where the folks who were critics of this trade, of you coming in to be the starting quarterback, I'm, you're kind of getting to a point where you're like, maybe they were right. And I don't want to say that they were right and I was wrong. And I'm sure Baker Mayfield feels the same way. Well, I, and I, I, you know, something else when he, the passes he did hit, they went for quite the distance. Now you can say like the Chenault uh, catch was what, like a five yard pass that he turned into a 67 yard pass. Uh, but that's why you get the ball to your playmakers. So some guys were starting to shine when Baker did connect. So he connected on enough. To, to get a touchdown out of it, to drive them down the field, to get them in field goal position. It wasn't it wasn't all Christian McCaffrey. The ball had to be delivered to the receivers that got all that extra yak. So, I, I mean, yeah, 
he only hit on half his passes, but the ones he did hit for the most part turned out to be pretty good passes. Speaking of Christian McCaffrey, 25 carries, 108 yards, averaged up over 4.2, almost 4.3 per carry. No rushing touchdowns for the Panthers in this one, but a good day nonetheless for McCaffrey as he goes back up over the century mark in back-to-back games. Uh, you know, I, 25 carries. I'm, I'm, waiting. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting because if you, if you throw the passes in there too, that would be like what? Over 30 touches? And, uh, and I, I think he got 20. I want to say it was 27. I think he had uh, two grabs. He was targeted four times. So 29 scheduled touches uh, on so, the day. So, so, so there we go. There we go. Nearly 30, which is what I've been saying all along, that if you get 30 and we'll go 29, you know, a, attempted touches by Christian McCaffrey is why the Panthers won. And uh, you're welcome. I mean, so so that needs to happen every week if the Panthers want to win. Even when you're having a subpar uh, day by your quarterback, you get McCaffrey somewhere around 30. It's a guarantee victory, Rob Brown. Guarantee. I mean, we're one and two. Let's maybe slow the roll just a little bit. The, the, the problem was never going to be in an individual game. The problem is going to be wear and tear over the course of the regular season. That being said, where I was going with that was that McCaffrey uh, looked like the Christian McCaffrey of old, right? Like he looked like the guy who was not running afraid, who was not running scared, who was not running to avoid contact. I will also say that you got a healthy dose of McCaffrey working off tackle instead of ISO and slamming him up the gut. Now, Chuba Hubbard had three carries for 25 yards. I would have loved to have seen a little bit more out of him because I do think if you're Matt Rule, I would like to see the experiment of the two-headed machine, the two-headed monster with both of those guys back there. But I will say for right now, Lonzo, that you may tip your cap to yourself because McCaffrey looked like he was running the ball in 2017 like he was not afraid like he was not a guy who's dealt with injury he looked much better with the football with every touch he had in this game and i absolutely think there's something to be said for that all right so when i get back from vacation i uh i'm okay with pat on the back i mean you can give me one of those and say 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 you were right in person because i mean this is this is awesome and everything but you know and uh, by then there'll be another Panther victory if they go and let CMC touch that ball around 30. Well, they got Arizona this weekend, so let's hold off on the back paths because I will not see you in person again until that game is concluded. I hope that it is a backpack. I may even bro hug you with the backpack. Uh, we With the backpack, we will see how it plays out. Uh, Kyler's got Kyler's got to be scared of that defense. I, I we'll be talking about it later in the week. He's got to be scared. Oh, we'll of be that talking defense. about it coming up in the next segment. But before we get into the defense, obviously we've got to mention Chenault. Two grabs, ninety yards, and a touchdown was influential in this game for a guy who did not dress in Week One and Week Two. Though for a guy who was picked up in a trade like pretty much at kickoff of Week One, Chenault was exceptional, exceptional on Sunday. Gabe Baker, the escape route, ran through contact. Uh, I mean, game ball. My no Matt rule got a game ball. Chenault gets a game ball too. 
You know, I was I've been watching press conferences like crazy, and 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 all the reporters kept asking about Chenault, and I hadn't really heard of him before. I'm like, is this dude that big of a deal? I mean, Jackson did it Jacksonville by Urban yeah, Meyer. That's why. Yeah, Jacksonville let him go, and it's it's like, yeah, Urban Meyer wasn't there when they let him go. That would be the present coach, uh, but I, they they let him go, and. Uh, Coach Rule kept saying, he's coming along, he's coming along, he's getting it. When he's ready, we're going to have him in there. And the first thing you notice is kickoff. Not only did he catch the ball, he ran with it, he didn't fumble it. So that right there is a win for me. And then when he took off on that long 67-yard, it's like, dude, where's this guy been? And I hope this is just the tip of the iceberg for him. It might be. Kid is an athlete. There is zero doubt about that. Pull it together, Rob Brown. I know, dude. It's like freaking allergies are just killing me right now. All right, last one. All right, let's put a bow on this and talk about, talk about saving the best for last. How about we talk about the Carolina Panther defense holding New Orleans to just 14 total points in this one, all of them coming in the fourth quarter at a point where Carolina was kind of being able to slow the roll a little bit at that point. And again, again, telling you uh, from the perspective of somebody in the stadium, even when the Saints put up a couple of touchdowns late, never felt like they were actually in the game. In fact, I don't think there was a point after the first quarter where it felt like New Orleans was going to make a run, like New Orleans was going to find their way back into this game. And a big chunk of that has got to be because of the defense. Jeremy Chin, eight total tackles and a sack. Henderson had six. Lubu had four, had five. Shaq Thompson had four. And you had a host of players with two or three. Here's what I really appreciated. The first couple of weeks, there was a whole heck of a lot of uh, Xavier Woods was getting a dozen tackles and Luva was getting a dozen tackles in this one. So you really had guys flying around the field everywhere and they really limited what new Orleans was able to do, right? Like new Orleans is a team that wants to get the ball to Camara to spread the field horizontally to then beat you vertically. Now, uh, Chris Olave did have a really good game. For the Saints, Olave, I think, got up, what, 147 through the air. But the Saints, outside of the ridiculous Marquez Callaway fallaway one-handed catch, which happened in the end zone almost right in front of me, with the exception of that, the Saints could not find the end zone through the air. And it wasn't like they were remarkably efficient running the ball. They were held at 84 yards on the ground. Yeah, it was 350 through the uh, 350 through through the air. But again, a lot of that was Olave and Traquan Smith. And in that point, the Panthers were definitely paying playing a Bemba don't break. Look, we'll let him move the ball between the 20s, but we're going to lock it down deep inside the red zone. The Carolina Panther defense, Lonzo, played one of the best games we have seen them play in a couple of seasons. I still don't know what the Saints team is. This Saints team could finish with four wins, eight wins, or 12 wins. And I wouldn't be surprised by any of those results when it's all said and done. What I do know is for a team that has been so creative the last couple of years offensively, Carolina did not let them establish any semblance of rhythm from start to finish. Yeah, and including that one touchdown we're talking about where he snagged that out, that would have been an interception. I mean, because there were two or three Panthers back there. If he hadn't snagged that, that they would have caught that for sure, and that would have been one last touchdown for New Orleans. Uh, 
that wasn't you got to give that give that dude props man that was amazing how he snagged that out of the air with one hand uh but you also got to talk about Derek Brown who uh you were hard uh on him the first couple games uh, or the first game and then he showed up last game and he showed up this game got himself an interception I mean, after a tip ball, and that that's a big dude flying around. <laughs> Absolutely. You see that guy coming at you, uh, let's say if you're someone like Kyler Murray, if you see that guy coming at you, you're going to be scared. And that's how these guys are playing. I love it. I really do. Uh, and not to mention that, they're flying around, they're fiery, they're making all this stuff, and they're not getting a ton of penalties. A lot of times a defense playing with this kind of intensity gets you a bunch of, of penalties that cost you and they are not doing that. Spot on. Spot on. It's a, it's, a, it's a disciplined defense. I think you're spot on. It is a disciplined defense. It is a defense that was maintaining assignment, right? Again, they made at the point of attack. It, it wasn't just that they were overpowering the Saints offensive line, which, for the record, they absolutely were. It wasn't just that they were overpowering the Saints offensive line. It's that they were blowing it up, right? Like, they were not letting the Saints get to where their assignments were on the O-line. And you could see it. You could see the frustration when they were playing down on our end of the field. You could see the frustration. You could see the anxiety on the Saints offensive line. In terms of body language, there was a lot of frustration. There was a lot of grabbing shoulder pads. It just was not going well for these guys at all. And that was because the front seven for Carolina was just beating the hell out of them at the point of attack. Even Alvin Kamara. In fact, I looked over at one point about midway through the third quarter. We were sitting uh, kind of uh, in the end zone, diagonal looking over towards the Saints bench. And I looked over at one point and Alvin Kamara was, was, was sitting on the bench. Mark Ingram, the other running back for New Orleans, sat down next to Kamara. Kamara got up moved over like five or six seats and sat back down, right? Now, Kamara and Ingram are, they're buddies, right? They're like buddies. They were buddies before uh, Mark Ingram left and went to Baltimore. They're supposed to be BFFs again. That team, that New Orleans team, Lonzo, they were not having fun. For a team that the past few years has kind of gotten the reputation of being a team that likes to have fun, and how couldn't you when you're getting 500 yards and 29 points a game, for a team that is supposed to be built on like good attitude and having, they look defeated on the sideline. Kamara didn't want to sit by Ingram. The offensive line was not talking and communicating. You could see even where I was 70 yards away from the bench, you could see the defeat on the faces of the New Orleans Saints. And if I'm a Panthers fan, and I am, that's awesome. That's good. That's exactly what I want. I want to see... The other team, especially in the clutch, especially late in the game, especially when we're trying to put them away. So I want to see defeat on the faces of my enemy across the field. And the Saints showed that like a lot. You know, not just defeat, but frustration. When you're looking at the team across from you and they're frustrated, they know that they're given their best and they can't outdo you because you're playing much better than they are. And that's what you were seeing. The Panthers were outplaying them, and they and they knew that, and there really was nothing they could do about it. Every time they got a little bit of a spark, the defense was, would step up or the offense would get a big play for the Panthers, and then they would just go right back down. And maybe they were thinking about that plane ride. 
I don't know, but that was probably a really long. I'm guessing they've already flew to London by now. It's got to be a really, really long ride. Well, I have no doubt. Uh, and listen, things don't things don't get easier for New Orleans here as well. And you got to know that if you're Carolina, right? Like they're in London. They've got a uh, what I think a, a, a 9 a.m. kick or 9:30 a.m. kick after a jet lag week. Then they've got the Seahawks, then the Bengals, then the Cardinals, then the Raiders, and the Ravens, and the Steelers. I mean, it's not an easy path for New Orleans. I don't think it's as difficult of a schedule over the next four as Carolina's, but it's not an easy path, and I'm I'm sure there was some level of looking ahead, but this was their third consecutive NFC South matchup. They beat Atlanta in week one. They lost to Tampa in week two. There were a lot of questions being asked about Dennis Allen. There were a lot of questions being asked about Jameis Winston, about the offense, certainly the defense too, right? Like they are supposed to be one of the best defensive lines in football. And while they did stop Leonard Fournette in week two, they got run on in week one by Mariota and the Falcons, and they got run on by Carolina yesterday uh, by Christian McCaffrey. The Panthers straight up, and and, and you'll pardon me for, for being dramatic here, the Panthers straight up whipped the Saints into submission. That That's the best way that I can put it. Like my old middle school coach would say, they just beat them till they didn't want to get up no more. That's exactly what happened. They beat them till they quit. And it was it was very obvious at the point that New Orleans just did not want anymore. Uh, and I'm 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 proud as hell of the defense for doing this. Like you said, every time it felt like New Orleans offense found a spark, they ran a little screen that worked, or Camara reeled off seven or eight and picked up a first down, or they threw it over a middle and, and deep to Olave and it came down with the ball. Uh, how many times did Olave come down with a deep ball, Lonzo, and then the next three plays three and out because they just couldn't get anything going off of it. That's a defense who refused to do anything except go put a boot on somebody's throat. I'm proud as hell of the Panther defense for yesterday. Yeah, because they they could have very easily got burnt over and over again with if Jameis would have had time to throw to Alave, if he would have been open every single time. When he was, he really did torch the Panthers a little. And, and part of that's got to be unknown because he's a rookie. And not everybody probably keeps up with what goes on in college. He's a really good college football player for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Um, and uh, if you're the Carolina defense and you look over and you see that guy's broken, that guy, that guy's spirit is broken. It is. We got this. All we got to do is hold up our end. Hopefully the offense holds up their end and we got this game. And at what point of the game do you think that happened? How early on do you think that they were able to look across and go, yeah, we got this? Mid-third quarter. Mid-third quarter, there was a there was just a there was just a different feel, dude. There was just a different feel in the stadium. It felt like the air had been let out of the stadium. Scratch that. Felt like the air had been out of the Saints. The stadium was 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 energetic. I will say this. Little disappointed by crowd support. And I get it, right? Like I had this conversation with the guy behind me when and, that, and for the record, that was my first Panthers game at the bank. Uh, I yeah, was I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you about your experience there. I, I will tell you from watching at home. I I'm used to that stadium being a lot lot fuller, and of course, a lot of it had to do with the fact that the Panthers hadn't won in a really long time. But what was your stadium experience like there? Uh, it was you've good. been to other stadiums. Yeah, I've I've been to that. That was NFL Stadium number. Seven or eight for me. I'll have to I'll have to sit down and count. Stadium number eight. Uh, I will say this about the bank. It's an exceptional stadium. It's a very nice stadium. It's a really well laid out stadium. 
the, the, it's 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 a it's a really well put together statement. It's a it's a good looking stadium. Um, the video boards on on both ends are spectacular. Uh, the seats are comfortable. I've been to a lot of older stadiums, including the Superdome in New Orleans, and the seats are made for 1960s people. You know what I mean? Uh, it's a really really nice stadium. And I'll tell you that like the folks around us were great too. I mean, the fo- there were a few Saints fans in the section where we were. Uh, there, I mean, obviously there was some smack talk back and forth, but there was never like any problem. Like, uh oh, where's that super secret security text number? It never felt like that. It was a great stadium. The only thing that I'll say is I was a little disappointed that it was, you know, eighty percent full, eighty two, eighty three percent full. But as you pointed out, like I was talking to the guy behind me. Because I said that I'm like, man, where like where is everybody? The upper bowl is 50 percent full. The bottom bowl is 90 percent full. And he said, dude, you got to keep in mind, uh, we haven't won a game here in a year. You know what I mean? And by the way, tickets were not cheap. Like tickets were not cheap. Uh, so so to go to a game where the tickets aren't cheap, even when there are empty seats, I get you want to see the product be better. I am hoping that this Sunday against Arizona, now that we've got a win, now that they've shown that this team's going to come out and put some uh, put some skin in the game, I am hoping that Kyler Murray f- uh, faces a very raucous full crowd on Sunday because I'll tell you, there were spots in the game, even with an 80% capacity in there, where the stadium was getting kind of loud. There was some noise, and you could tell, especially when the Saints had their back to the wall down deep with their back against the goal line, you could tell it was impacting the signal calling a little bit in that. So I hope that stadium is packed to the brim because I, I, I would love to see what that stadium feels and sounds like at a hundred percent capacity. And now that there's a win on the right side of the ledger, let's hope that that is the case. Uh, it was good. It was a good time. You know, I've been there when it's been completely sold out and I've always heard the, the wine and cheese uh, thing. This is the only uh, NFL stadium I've ever been in. So it's the, this is the only experience I know. I I have heard that thing be really loud. I've been to college games before. I'm not saying that rival is a college game, but I've heard it be really loud to the point where, you know, the players on the other team couldn't hear to uh, hear the snap count. So it is possible in that stadium. And come on, people, come on out and watch the game. I went out and yeah. watched Kyler Murray run around with the cell phone. I have been to uh, I've been to Doe Campbell in Tallahassee. I have been to South Bend, Indiana, and watched Notre Dame. I have been to Alabama at Bryant Denny. I've been to the Plains of Opelika and watched Auburn. There's a lot of great college football stadiums. That open air environment kind of has a college football, Southern college football feel to it. I really want to see it at 100%. And and the reality is, and I'm sure the team knows this as well, you get two or three more home wins. If this team goes 3-0 and through this three-game home stretch, I suspect after the roadie, uh, when they come back for that fifth game, I think that place is going to be rocking. Ladies and gentlemen, your Carolina Panthers defeat the New Orleans Saints 22-14. to We are now 1-2, and 1-0, in division and dad gum does it feel good to put a dub up under the belt lonzo we drop our next midweek pod on wednesday between now and then any final words for the people just look on the horizon here comes little kyler murray i can't wait to see what happens in this game runs like a toddler who stole his parents cell phone the greatest scouting report 
in the history of scouting reports. Ladies and gentlemen, the midweek pod drops on Wednesday. We will have a look back at the press conferences, at any news and notes, uh, transactions, injuries, et cetera, et cetera, on Wednesday. And we will see you then. For Lonzo Ride, so my name is Rob Brown. Thank you for listening to the Views from Mid Street podcast. Tell your friends about it. Available where podcasts are found, your home for Panthers talk across the great United States. We'll see you Wednesday. Keep pounding, baby!